Okay, now we're recording. We still didn't talk about how we were going to properly intro Daniel Burroughs. What do you mean pop- properly? I, I don't know. We just did a 10-minute intro that we both trashed. <laughs> we, so. we did. It was, it, was, it was bad. It was legitimately the worst thing we've ever recorded. And you'll never see it unless you subscribe to our Patreon. Yep. It's going to go up there. We're going to do it. Our... our two subscribers are going to see the worst recording ever or hear it and that's at least <laughs> so yeah that that's your that's your inspo to go check out the patreon is to hear our terrible terrible nonsense hello and welcome to active listeners with mike and shane each week we interview guests about their goals and expectations as artists their artistic expression, and the all-around nature of the artist's lifestyle. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is there a de facto artist lifestyle? Well, that's one of the things we try to uncover. Performers, visual artists, and musicians, Mike and I would like to talk to you about what you do, why you do it, and what that art means for your community. Please follow active listeners on Facebook or the Twitter and join in on the conversation. Peace. Welcome to Active Listeners Podcast. This is Mike. <laughs> and I'm Shane. <laughs> what? I just... We are so unfocused this evening. Oh, every evening. It's a, it's a struggle. It's an ongoing struggle. Active Listeners, welcome. Today, we bring you an interview with a good friend of ours, Daniel Burroughs, who has just entered into the world of stand-up comedy. Mike and I know him from uh, him being an actor and an educator, so it's going to be interesting to have a conversation with him in regards to uh, how that translates to stand up. Uh, I'm excited to talk to uh, Daniel. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, his past experience, his relationship to art in general, and uh, to his newfound love for stand-up and, you know, his recent adventures in, in that world. Well, what do you, what do you think about stand-up, Shane? Are you a, are you a stand-up fan? I am a stand-up fan, although I often sit down at the shows. Yeah, Oh, yeah. man, I am ready for the stage. No, I actually enjoy stand-up comedy for its improvisational nature Mm -hmm. and that having to deal with a live audience it's similar to you know when you're acting on stage but more often than not you're a stand-up comedian you are telling your own material so uh it's a little more personal than acting on stage. uh, I've always kind of had an interest in trying it. I don't know. I just, I want to try a little bit of everything, I guess. Um, Have you ever written anything as far as, like, stand-up comedy goes? I mean, like, uh, I I generally think of myself as a, a funny person, but mostly in, like, the delivery of other material. You know what I mean? Um, yes. I so yeah, like writing, or or just like in, like um, in the moment, like funny in the moment, like most people that are funny, like oh that guy's funny, you know, situationally funny. Yeah, I always tell people that I'm not funny. I just have impeccable timing. Yeah, which is yeah, it's all it's, that's part of it, right? I th- I th- but I think there's a huge difference because <laughs> I'm not a funny person. I'm just <laughs> not funny, but I have an ability to read situations, read people, wait for 
awkward moments of silence and I do really good recall. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that would translate to on stage because part of the reason I'm funny with people I know is because we have a shared history mm -hmm. and I'm able to recall that mm -hmm. at the right time. I think, I think a lot of what comedians will do if you examine like good comedy and maybe again, it's just my interest in it that kind of makes me look at it this comedian uh, will not only do the callback according to things that are familiar with everyone socially but also in the moment and in the in the show like a lot of the greatest stand-up from the greatest comedians that can bring you back to a point bring you back to a uh, a punchline and make it work again you know several minutes into the set sure just the ability to sort of right. present myself on a stage that's half the battle being successful at any really anything is being a good performer <laughs> convincing yeah. other people you're good at what you're doing and it's funny just to sort of be contrarian i my head went to uh, mitch hedberg and how his style has nothing to do with callback humor and it's just one liner after one liner. oh yeah yeah that's totally that's valid like it's not the only way to do it i also think that i could do stand up if I were to sort of adapt a style of putting on a persona when I go on stage, and I know I've having talked to a couple comedians, you know, you always put on a persona when you go on stage. Mm -hmm. But for me, I think of uh, Andy Kaufman style, mm -hmm. maybe not with the wrestling of women, but <laughs> that style of just being able to, and the willingness to transform your body and your and your mindset and go on go on stage one night deliver a set as one person go on same stage the next night as a comp and you know speaking of that cross-section of luck and hard work i think that is a great segue into our conversation with daniel burrows hello active listeners welcome back with us today, we have Daniel Burroughs, who is an education artist, a comedian, a good friend of mine, husband, father, the whole deal. So uh, Daniel, do us a favor, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, let us know what pronouns you use, and then go ahead and give us some sort of fact. It can be fun, it can be miserable, it can be anything you want, but something that will ultimately spark an hour-long conversation. <laughs> no pressure. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, my, I, my, my name, my name, I do know that. My name is Daniel McCutcheon Burroughs, uh, DMB. That's just a, a U short of dumb. Uh, <laughs> and uh, my pronouns are hee-haw. Um, no, I'm, I don't mean, uh, I'm he, him. Um, I'm bad with grammar. Um, <laughs> and uh, something so I, this is what I was starting to talk about before you were like, hold on, let us record. Um, <laughs> Throw me right in the bag. If this is a podcast concerning art and uh, creation, especially since the pandemic, I feel that art should be something that everybody participates in. Um, that, you know, oh, I'm an actor. Oh, I'm an author. Oh, I'm a painter. That sort of relating to one as what they do is constrictive. I feel like we should all dance and we should all paint and we should all uh, do those things that used to be part of culture, but since everything's sort of been uh, commodified and sort of separated into identity, um, we've kind of lost a lot of that. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up because we had a guest on 
previously who was an artist for a long time and then just completely cut it out of their life. And it's interesting to hear that opposite perspective of just do art because that's that's the culture we should be living in. Yeah, I don't even say should per se. It's just optimal. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's the human you should be living in. Sure. With that. If, if I have any advice in my 45 years of age. <laughs> you just threw yourself right in the bag, didn't you? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and the reason I say because of the pandemic is that, um, you know, there was a lot of home time. And I am by no means a painter, but I was painting every day. And That's amazing. Started enjoying it and started hanging my own art. And people were like, that's interesting or good. And, you know, my my son was influenced by it, which I think is probably the most important thing to me. There was a lot of art projects happening in this house during pandemic, I'll tell you that. And and the kids did some too. Um, <laughs> uh, so so yeah, I, I really like I really like this idea of just like I'm an artist, or just like we we should all endeavor to create in in various ways beyond just like being home and doing it. What kind of importance has has art played in your life? Well, um, I mean, I grew up in a, a family that not by no means an artistic family, except that we were all singers. You know what I mean? Uh, but no, but no one, I was the only one who kept on doing it as a profession. Uh, the last of five kids in an Irish Catholic family. Um, so the, the thing that I was always good at compared to the other siblings in the competition was, was singing. And so I come to art with a natural singing voice that always got me in the door somewhere. So musical theater was what I majored in uh, at Syracuse University, BFA in musical theater. But I I didn't start there. I started uh, at Syracuse on the track to become the next Tom Brokaw. Oh, interesting. I was like, well, I know that I want to speak and I know that I want to be in front of eyes and uh you know but somehow journalism seemed a little bit more uh serious i always forgot you were an upstate new yorker at yeah. one point in time yeah yeah you've lived you've lived the dream journalism um elaborate on that a little bit so uh when i was in high school uh i took a i took a business class and i went to competition for broadcast journalism in I think it was DECA, Distributive Education Clubs in America. And we had to do was you had to write a commercial and speak it onto a tape. And then they would you would submit uh, that. So it u- utilizes the, you know, the creative aspect of writing, but also sort of the your voice and whether it's pleasant to listen to. And so when I was looking at schools, it wasn't an accident that I chose the number one journalism school that also happened to be the number one musical theater school. Sure. Yeah. It's like, hmm, I'll give this a try. And then my freshman year, I had this, uh, it wasn't a bet, but an agreement with a buddy of mine who was also in musicals in high school that if he auditioned for what's called the first year players, which was a a musical for non-theater majors exclusively and as school as gigantic and talented as Syracuse like there was a lot of music majors and a lot of people who were super talented who still wanted to you know play around with musical theater 
I, and I made this deal with him that I would rush the Greek system second semester if he auditioned for Little Shop of Horrors with me first semester. Nice. And I got Seymour Krailborn and he got Mr. Mushnick. <laughs> and we're like, all right. <laughs> and then you had to rush next semester, didn't you? And then I had to rush the following semester, uh, which was interesting. What's the weirdest or grossest thing they made you do? Uh, well, I stayed in, I don't know if anybody still does this because it's kind of like taboo and uh, archaic. Yeah, and like, you know, torturous and uh, hazing and all that stuff. Um, I think it's like a five to six week process. And uh, at week five, uh, right before hell week, which is apparently where they really amp it up, I was like, you know, I don't really want to be brothers with a lot of you. <laughs> you know, being in the theater department uh, and being sort of gender or at least sexual fluid, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I felt like I'm gonna get in, beat up by one of you guys at some <laughs> So I dropped out, but it was also partially because the weekend before, just for speaking my mind, uh, I got swirlied by one of the brothers. I don't, nah. So that was pretty gross. What was the catalyst that launched you into wanting to be a, a, a journalist? I feel, like, I mean, if you're going to create art, you need to be aware of what's going on. You know, yeah, journalism, if, if it's your job to know what's going on, then that's fantastic. Like, so, you know, knowing what's going on is, I think, probably what led me to want to be involved in journalism and to be in front of a camera and like, you know, and be respected. I feel like that's what drew me to it. But yeah, so the freshman year after I did Little Shop, I was like, well, I guess I, I'm going to do it. So I just quite easily transferred over uh, audition and got in to the theater department at Syracuse. And I guess the rest is sort of history. But journalism, I feel like journalism and theater, the splitting of the difference is stand-up comedy. You're like a, a performative uh, presenter of like information and commentary on on society a lot of what reporting the news is today so you just make it fun <laughs> yeah i mean that's what i see i at least from my you know, anecdotal perspective a lot of younger audiences are getting their news from comedic sources it's it's a lot more leaning towards satirical news and a lot less uh sort of veering away from that journalistic style of research and uh you know it was that tom broke up I also feel like because I hate this term, but like the, the post-truth era that we're in, where like everybody has their news sources, you know, that can be completely contradictory, that that for the educated and the subtle of mind, satire is is inherently true. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, it, if you're if you're sending it up. It's leaving more to the listener to make their own decision. Yeah, yeah. There's like a, there's a disarming nature to comedically speaking truth. Here, this is what I'll do. I will compare uh, Antony's speech in Caesar to Brutus's speech in Caesar. I am about to fall in love with you more than I already was. If you know those speeches, one begins, uh, I believe countrymen uh countrymen and lovers that's the brutus one 
it's very, it's not in verse, it's in prose, uh, which is the language of the head, not the heart. It's very logical. And it says, this is what happened. Don't worry. It has all these rhetorical questions that he answers for you. And it need, it does not need the audience. This is how it is. And this is what happened. And this is what we're going to do. And this is why we do it. And if you don't believe me, uh, I have the same dagger for myself. Yeah, like Brutus definitely planned that speech far in advance. <laughs> he was ready to give that right. speech. Uh, and he didn't need an audience for it. And he's taking complete responsibility for all those murderers. It's like, he did this, you know what I mean? Like, and if you have any questions, come to me. And then Anthony gets up there and it's in verse. And all of his questions are, are really asking the mob to consider for themselves. You know, he's like, you all did love him once. What cause have you not to weep for him? You know what I mean? Like, and, and they have to be like, hmm. And then he's like, they're all honorable men, honorable. And then everybody has to be like, wait, what is honor? Is honor <laughs> murdering somebody? So it, it involves them in a way that uh, I think when you're getting your news sources these days, like people just, the sheep want to be told what it is. And when people want to consume something that needs them or involves them, they go to like Stephen Colbert or I don't know if there's a right-leaning uh, comedian uh, but there are but it, it requires you you know the collaboration all i can think about those uh those redneck comedians that the three blue collar comedy tour back. yeah yeah well those guys are also um rhetoricians i mean like they're creating a character i mean larry the cable guy his name is like dan something and he's playing a, a character so often and i and i kind of want you to talk about this too um in regards to your comedy because whenever I see a comedian for the longest time, I always thought that was them. They were that was a, a genuine truth. That was who they were. And comedy was sort of how they were sort of getting through that day or that week or that month or that life. You start to realize that it is it's just as much of a mask as everything else. Yeah, no, uh, I've been thinking about this a great deal lately and I don't want to devolve into it because I don't want to defend or 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 come at Dave Chappelle um but there's been a lot of stuff about him and you know his transphobia did you watch that special because I actually haven't well yeah I've watched everything he's ever done um and not to you know lionize him or say he's the goat per se but he's doing he's doing the craft and the, what I think where he he's so successful and so famous at this point is that his strength has always been he knows who he is and he's sticking to that those guns. He's got this bit. He's got he had this, this bit about um, about Kramer when he corpsed and used the N word on stage, and uh, I think he was like, in that moment I realized I was seventy percent comedian and forty percent black. He was like, let's see how you deal with this, Kramer. You know, I think that when you're creating a stand-up piece, it's still comedy writing. So it needs, it needs balance. It needs beats. I've always thought that comedians weren't ever trying to convince you of something, that they were always trying to get you to think about something. Stories are what stand-up comedians do best. You know what I mean? Like, it's that whole, that's where people invest. As I've been starting to do more shows and, and open mics and stuff, 
I am a full on like Mike Birbiglia, like arc person. And the stuff that does the best is my personal stories. And that's actually what got me into, uh, got me up on stage for the first time because it's been a bucket list to do my whole life. But what gave me the balls was my daughter's diagnosis. My daughter has Rett syndrome, which is a neurological disorder, uh, affects motor planning. She doesn't walk, she doesn't talk, she doesn't eat for herself, she eats through a tube. She will be that way until some other complication causes her trouble or until she dies a natural death at 70 something. But like up until that point, I was like, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. I grew up in an affluent suburb. I'm, I'm, I, the pain that I've suffered pretty much up until that point was like breakups and, uh, you know, disappointments, uh, with my career. Uh, but like the absolute soul crushing, never going to change. Here's your lot in life thing was like, Oh, well, if that's the worst that's going to happen to me, I can get up on stage and be booed. And then I, and most of my orig original material had to do with her and largely like the things that people who aren't ready to hear my daughter's condition say to me when I let them know. Like the absolute, oh my God, did you just say that <laughs> thing that people say to me? Shane, you know me, like. Yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine the shit you say on stage. I don't get a, it's hard to offend me. So when people say horrible things about my daughter or, 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 or pretend to know what I go through, I do not get offended. I try to make them as comfortable as possible so they continue talking. It's material. It's free material. <laughs> gold. It is gold. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. I didn't even think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one of the first conversations I had with you about it because we were we were so tight. You were like, Shane, I swear to God, if you tell me that it's going to be okay and you understand what I'm going through, I'm going to punch you in the throat. <laughs> that is like, I remember that being one of the first conversations we had about your daughter. Yeah. And I was like, I respect you completely for that. <laughs> we, I, we found out like when we were, or we found out something was wrong when we were doing Glass Menagerie. Yeah. So that, yeah, you you were right there at the front end. So I was going to say, so it sounds like um, that being able to do this, regardless of like your, where you came from at, in, in performance art is, has been beneficial for you in other ways and like personal, personal ways. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know, partially because, you know, I said that my, the talent that I had as a, at a young age was singing but writing is always where I wanted to land. And what's so great about doing my own material is that like, I live and die by it. Like I'm either, if, if it sucks, it's my fault. If it kills, it's my win. And I don't have to, like part of the problem with my main job, like main professional job working in, uh, at the American Shakespeare Center is I was working with like amazingly talented people who if I shat the bed, like their whole <laughs> day was ruined and it was my fault. You know what I mean? Like, 
I didn't need that kind of pressure. And, and everyone says like, oh my God, stand-up comedy is so much pressure. Dude, as soon as I pick up that mic, I'm floating. Like, it is so much easier for me and my psyche, like, to just get up there and let it flow. There's more, there's, there's more pressure on you, but at the same time, as it sounds like you're saying, the alleviated pressure is so much greater for you. Right, right. I can, I can be, and, mm -hmm. and because mm -hmm. the feedback is immediate. I mean, that's, that's why as an actor, I've always preferred the comedy roles because you can instantly know when an audience is engaged with what you're talking about. And uh, so I actually have a question. Are you a pre-planner? Do you meticulously write word for word and practice in front of a mirror? Or do you know your stories and sort of know the beats you want to hit and then play with, uh, play with an audience? I'd be interested because your, your, your background in, in Shakespeare acting, so much of that is audience interaction how much of that prepared you to be on stage and how to deal with an audience and recognize when an audience is with you when an audience is against you and how to play with those sort of terms. yeah well it's very similar to the asc way in that you need to know your words backwards and forwards so you can be ready for once an audience member you know uh starts talking to you in ASC, and it's a, it's it's a similar thing. It's an evolution for me. Um, I I think I started a little looser, but now I've been studying a lot of comedy writing, and uh, and I have I'm studying the beats and the callbacks, and the, you know there is a, a map, but I fully yeah. fully the just like at ASC, like if someone tries to mess with me, uh, I'm. It, that's exciting like i i don't i'm not word for word at, at all uh and but i i do i i don't do it in front of the mirror <laughs> i do get the whole thing squared away um you know you you memorize so you can forget if you remember that yeah. that thing yeah so yeah so you love a good heckler uh i love being able to handle a good heckler um yeah it's a it's a i mean like i'm i'm super green i've done it like eight times i'm a, I, I'm a hey I'm that a, means you're I'm, a professional a paid gig yep i am officially Official. professional yeah um so that's that's fun um i had to the the guy uh who hosts the open mic that i do most often is um this this his name is Colin johnson and he's this like big cuddly black guy and uh, and he said to me the other night, he's like, you know, we had the same problem that you were good the first time. And it's hard to learn what the thing is if you don't bomb. And so I engineered a set no, a couple of sets ago. <laughs> I am. I really hope that no one <laughs> recorded it or it was dangerously <laughs> offensive. If I had a career to lose, I would have lost it. They took the mic away from me. It was so, such a bomb that that I. But I just kept going, and a, and a friend of mine was like, you know, the the front end of your set was good because the front end was the thing, and then I did the thing, the other thing, uh, and he's like, but the fact that you were like pushing through and like saying 
oh my God, this is so horrible. I'm going to keep going. He's like, that was on, I, I would have paid to watch that over and over and over again. But it was terrible. It was like jumping out of an airplane. No one was laughing. It was terrible. And I'm like, okay. You have to be able to that's what that try is. stuff too. Like here, it sounds like you were trying to see what the limits were. But then also like eventually you're going to, you know, you're going to write so many things. You're like, I don't even know. Like maybe this will be a thing, you know, and you'll have to try it. And sometimes it'll pay off and sometimes it won't. I think in something earlier that you said that was interesting to me because it made me think of how meticulously you plan things with the, with the exception, with the expectation that things are going to go wrong or that things are going to change. Like a great comedian can walk into a room and riff. And when you see comedians do that, it's ones that have been doing it forever. What you said is interesting because it applies to other other things. The comic book artists that will just sit down and start inking and not plan a single thing. You know what I mean? And it's because they've just been doing it so long. It's a reflex. It's a it's just a muscle that they've already worked. Um, talk about as someone that like kind of like is a chameleon, um, kind of sliding in and out of these things as you move through your life. What's your favorite part? of getting into a new thing what's what's the what's the best part of a new artistic endeavor for you i guess it's that bridge where i shed the criticism in my own head and my upbringing where people are like that sucks (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean like we're like okay fine and then that yeah, with everything. I mean, like, I'm brand new to stand up. And I guess it's that bridge where I'm like, oh, I can do this. And with the painting, uh, it was like, oh, this is given right because I have <laughs> eyes and hands. Like, of course. I feel like a lot of art gets gatekept in a way. Of, you know, I don't consider myself an artist because I'm constantly comparing myself to artists like like Mike and I see the stick figures I draw and the comic books he's drawing but you're right it's not about the product you're putting out it's about what you're getting out of it and what you're sort of creating out of nothing Uh, because I know so many people struggle to cross that bridge that you're talking about Um, how do you like how do you how do you cross that bridge? Is it just something you've done so many times that you recognize it and you're comfortable with it? Is it scary every time? Is it exciting? Like what, what advice might you have to help someone who sees that barrier? To be honest, I think it's getting harder for people. Um, it's getting the, the, for me, I might not be a great anything, but I do love jumping out of airplanes. Like, I love that feeling. Uh, I, I, am, I think, I heard this on a podcast the other day. Uh, I think it was Tig, Tig Notaro was saying that uh, her mother always said uh, that she's very comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I was like, that's me. That's who I am. I, I, I love awkward silences. When I was in LA, I had a buddy who had a, a production company um, that that they were filming uh, content for comedy, and um, and for three years I filmed uh, shitty comics, and some of them were good, but my favorite was when someone was 
just dying. Like you could smell it. You could taste it. It was such a, like a visceral experience mm. in the room, you know? Right. Uh, and I, I sort of developed a taste for that. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I feel like stand-up comedy or live action, live uh, performance won't ever die because something could go terribly wrong. And I think that, you know, there's, that smell is a sense that it's so taboo that it doesn't even get, but you can smell it. So as far as advice of getting over that, that bridge, I think for me, it kind of comes naturally because I'm not worried about what happens. You know, I'm 45 at this point. And so I'm just kind of like <laughs> throwing it out there. The creation is the thing. The product isn't. That it seems weird. It's the process that matters. And I feel like we get too uh, concerned about what's going to happen. Like we don't, it, it's, it's the moment that it happens. That's where all good music comes from, you know, the space between the notes. That's where all good food comes from. Uh, that's an art that I also, uh, you know, dabble in and have a lot of experience around. Um, but, you know, the idea that you're only as good as your last plate or song or joke. Uh, and like you mentioned fact. before, it's hard to sell the process. Why I feel most artists kind of get into this is because of that process and how you start to recognize change within yourself. Yeah, growth. Growth is a, is a good feeling when you feel something improving, something that you do. You're, that drives me is when I'm like, you know, some of, some of my, my lowest artistic moments are when I'm, I notice like I'm not really learning anything. I'm not really pushing myself um, mm. to do anything differently. Um, which is the way I would describe. Yeah, how do you get over? I think it's a combination of like just stubbornness and, and you know, just uh, also honestly, like sometimes I don't. Sometimes, you know, I'll be working on a drawing or something yeah. and it's just not clicking, it's not moving. And like I force myself, I try to force myself to finish something even that I've started, even if I know I'm going to end up doing it over. Um, but like, yeah, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm like, all right, I got to go do something else for a while. Or, you know, if I'm working on a monologue, trying to get something memorized, and I'm just like, this isn't going to happen tonight. You know, I'll just, <laughs> just give it up because there's something else usually going on. It's like, it's like a block. But like, for me to like get over a bridge or to like get to a, get to a, a point of, um, uh, of struggle, usually I try to take that as an indicator that, hey, you're learning something. So, you know, get through it and it would be better for it on the other end of it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I struggle with that, you know, getting getting over the bridge. One of the reasons why I think I lean towards directing so much is because I know that bridge is pretty easy to cross, so easy to offer a hand to someone and say, hey, look, look, I crossed this bridge, so can you. Um, and just watching people cross the bridge has always brought me joy watching people make that connection, watching people learn and grow, having that emotional upheaval and like being able to be a part of that, um, maybe selfish, but also uh, it brings me joy, so. <laughs> yeah, you do. No, you said it. <laughs> no, you no, said it. You. Was, I mean, like, it, it. Both things can be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah the, uh, the outside eye does help. So my brand as stand-up comedy is, uh, you know, 45-year-old white dad. And like, 
I'm working on my next set. And uh, this is, I, I never have one-liners, you know, when people, when people say, uh, oh, you do comedy? Tell me a joke. I'm like, again, I want to punch you in the neck. <laughs> um, I, like, I need like an eight-minute setup, okay? Like, <laughs> yeah, right? You, yeah, you got a good uh, hard five? Yeah. yeah, I'll give you one. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, just five. I'm Irish. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. That's, a, um, that's, that's, your, that's your one-liner now. Yeah, something like that. No, but I, I actually came up with the one with you the other night. I was like, uh, I'm trying to be woke. You know, it's important to get woke. Uh, I even set an alarm to be woke, <laughs> but I just I keep hitting snooze. I keep hitting snooze because because it seems like no matter what that my job seems to be as an older, extremely entitled uh, uh, person. To, is just to shut the fuck up and listen. And I got that. I got that. The weird thing, the tough thing about that for me is that I have been saying this, the things that everyone's for screaming time. since like, I was little. The amount of time I've known you, so many of the conversations we had 10 years ago are conversations that people are having today. And I, I think back and I was like, he was either way ahead of his time or he's fucking nuts. <laughs> Both. <laughs> Both Definitely can both. be true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like the idea that, that the, the sort of constant triggering that happens or like my whole deal is that all the voices need to be at the table. They don't need to be because that's the way they get invalidated if they're shitty. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you can't just put them mm-hmm. in a fucking closet and say that they don't exist because they do. Let people invalidate themselves. Yeah, there yeah. you go. I, res- I respect that, quite frankly. Like everyone yeah. gets a seat at the table and shitty people are going to be shitty people. That's that's what I do when I when I mention my daughter. I, 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 this is a it's part of a stand up bit, but I, I'll tell you because I try to attack the left and the right with this. Is that I I, I was speaking to a woman and I and uh, I was while I was waiting tables, um, and uh, I, I felt ni- nice enough with her, like she was a nice enough person that I could share my daughter's uh, condition, and I told her what it was, red syndrome, and you know that it's all these things where she doesn't walk and it's a lifelong thing and. And, but I referred to, I said, I have a daughter who's severely disabled. And she like shot up with her spine. This, this is a, you know, a, a hippie ass woman. She goes, she goes, you know, I bet she's more able than you give her credit for. And I was like, ah, oh, okay. All right. Uh, and then she was like, so you know, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to offend, but like, you know, I had a roommate in college who was blind. <laughs> you would be really, you would have been very impressed with the things that she could do. And I was just like, hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, just so I get your nomenclature right, are you just a regular <laughs> fucking bitch or is it just your total garbage person? <laughs> just well, want to make sure I'm calling you, you the right hit thing. hit the snooze button on your woke? She did. <laughs> she, was, she was awake. She was ready. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she got, she got up in her yoga, yoga pants, man. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, like the confidence. I'm sorry. It's just the confidence. Oh my like, God, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, now, now this is even worse. On the other end, this woman, and she's somebody I've known who's been a regular, right? But uh, I, was, I, told, I finally told her about my daughter and she's like, oh, I completely understand my... My brother, uh, they had uh, they had a child, 
And uh, it was, you know. And I was like, no, 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 I don't know. She's like, uh, it was, it was a vegetable. And I was like, huh, all right. And so, so I, I'm like, right, come on, give me more, give me more. And she's, she's like, uh, and it was, you know, it was a different time then. And he was a doctor. So they gave him the option of whether to, you know, I was like, no, no, I don't know. She's like, let it live or not. And I was like, oh, oh, so, so what they do. And she's like, oh, well, they were religious, so uh, they kept it uh, and uh, it lived till it was about 17 and then it passed. So I know exactly it's where you're called it in it. <laughs> right, right. And I was just like, my eyes were like, this is heaven. I, like, you know, I have to start themselves. in that mindset because too often I just agree and like, no, yeah, I totally understand. But I feel like I would get such interesting stories if I just played the no please tell me more card yeah I mean if my job is to shut up and listen as a 45 year old white man I, I think I it's it's so funny because like this is this is this is something that happens fairly regularly like across all topics is as you get you get just like to a point where for me and it sounds like you too like the best thing you can do is just let them say or do or, or whatever the thing that they're saying or doing and like hope that something clicks maybe one day i don't know <laughs> it's 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 a similar yeah. it's a similar feeling for me whenever like i'm like explaining to someone at work like hey that was a shitty situation because so and so said something racially insensitive and then, yeah, and then it's the the slew of of like, oh, I know exactly what you mean. It's like, whoa, 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 no, no, you don't, you don't. <laughs> That's <laughs> don't not know. where this conversation has to go. <laughs> and it's fine that you don't. So when is when is your show? You mentioned that you have a show coming up. Yeah, I'm I'm opening. It's you know, it's I I I've got to do a tight. Five, five to ten. Uh, um, she's going to be opening for, uh, I guess, a national act uh, at Redbeard on awesome. October twenty. Awesome. Who's the? Do you know who the person is? Well, uh, the openers are Dan Ellison, <laughs> the educated redneck. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. Which you know, I got to know you what do. audience you... I'm going up against. That's there. actually a. Yeah, that's a great that's point. That's uh, Opening for someone. How do you adapt your material for the audience you know you're going into? You know, the educated redneck is going to draw a certain type of people, especially in, you know, the middle of Virginia. Right, right. Well, the two opening, it's it's him and three opening comics, and the other two are uh, black guys. And I've seen some of his material. He doesn't seem particularly educated, but... Um, he also didn't seem to redneck. Maybe you need to give him a new name. Well, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about, you know, the, that idea of, you you know, you're not necessarily yourself on stage, which we only vaguely touched on how much, it sounds like you put a lot of you on stage. This is what, this is the evolution, however. This is the thing, finding that my stories, my personal stories are, uh, the best and I remember them and I infuse them the best 
I have now started altering them to be funnier or to have a shape. My last set was by far my best set and it never happened. But it it escalated in the right beats. Some of it did happen. I am just now figuring out what my brand is because um, I've misstepped a couple of times. I was very scared right after I booked this gig, the person who booked me, it was, it was scary because I had done a set where like, it wasn't even a joke. It was a segue between two jokes, Ooh. but I made a rape reference. Uh-huh. And the person who booked me was like, Hey, it's going to be great. Uh, but I, I mean, I heard some things and, and hey, man, you can't do rape jokes. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't do it. Did I do it? Did I do a rape joke? And I was like, Oh, it was a segue into like fantasies staying in the fantasy world. And like, and then I didn't like, I, but I do remember that the whole energy mm. left the room and I was like, Oh, and, and what I was going to put on that tail end of what I said was something that I had endured, which was, uh, like a sexual, um, uh, abuse situation that, but like, as soon as I met, said it, the room went and I was like, all right, moving on. Uh, and that is the thing that nearly got me canceled from my first Um, gig. So, yeah. And so in the following show, I did a show that did talk about rape, but it talked about the fact that ducks are the uh, uh, serial gang the rapists of the penises. animal kingdom. They're, they're corkscrew torture penises. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that I can talk about. No one's, unless there's a dolphin in the audience. Where do you find that line between balancing what is let's say politically correct and how that is shifting so fast like how do you how do you find that balance of the jokes I know you used to tell and the jokes that I know you've grown out of and recognize are no longer contributing to a conversation there's a line right so like in, is it is it such that in comedy it's just you feel like you try a thing and you find the line or do you try to f- have that line in mind before you've gone in Ide- ideally the latter i think um but this is a thing that i've been talking about especially with you know the american theater is in a rough spot with all this uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter and the uh, Me Too and who's running theaters and how they get something produced. Like in your last podcast, uh, you guys mm-hmm. were talking about The Shining and, and, and the torture that Shelley Duvall endured for that performance. It's in the bag, man. It's fucking amazing. Um, but, you know, Shane, I remember you were talking about uh, not being able to divorce the art maker from the art uh and um that's what i'm really concerned about in the theater at this point is that it was never meant to be safe you know and you just hope that you're around people who you can trust you know and i understand like they've got now they've got whole jobs like intimacy coordinators and like um 
you know, try and stay informed as possible. But like, that's the thing that stand-up comedy will never be is safe. Like, it's terrifying up there. And I think that some of the best performances I've ever seen were when people were terrified. And I hope most of the time they were working with people that they trusted, but they allowed themselves to go to a place that was not safe, you know? And so I'm interested in how, because you guys have talked about this in other podcasts, like that, that safe space. And it seems to be, I, I, this is a, a place where as a white 45 year old man, I should shut the fuck up. But like, I don't know how, I'm not saying that, that everybody should be a Harvey Weinstein, but like, uh, it did create some amazing things. And I'm curious what you guys I think, think that, as young practitioners. Um, I guess specifically, if I was gonna speak to like the comedic world, I always really enjoy comedians that kind of like what you're saying that you, you're doing um, is like you're taking something about your situation, your experience, and you're telling us why it's funny through through like your own uh, mm. understanding of your, the scenarios that you're in. Um, you're telling us, you know, why you think it's funny. There's like certain jokes kind of get back to Chappelle a little bit. I can remember thinking to myself, like, well, the line there was, it was a situation that involved him that he thought was funny. And I think those jokes are fine. But in, in the, like, the macro of the other jokes surrounding those jokes is what's not okay. So, like, specifically when, he's, when he talked about going to a club with a trans woman and not knowing that they were a trans woman until the end of this amazing time that he had. Like, the joke wasn't at the expense of this trans person the joke was at the expense of like cis men not understanding mm. what an encounter what a trans person is like so like but surrounded by the other jokes where it's clearly he's punching down it's like well i can't sit here and defend that you know he's got problematic you know things going on and then the same that can be said with theater like like you said theater is never meant to be safe and I'll even go one step further and say that theater isn't always meant to make you feel good. So like when when is it OK to tackle those issues? That's what I fear is that it's going to become not OK to even talk about things being racist or racism or like sexism in the sense that, no, we're just portraying this on stage to make you think about it, not to endorse it. So it's it's an it's hard, you know, to have that conversation, especially surrounding like early modern theater, like we all, you know, are involved in. And I think you bring up an interesting yeah. concept about uh, about punching down. Um, I, I don't know if you happen to watch Inside the that Bo Burnham special that was very popular a couple months ago. I watched half of it. Sure. I um, mean to finish it. And he he sort of has this conversation about uh, what makes a joke funny and what punching down is. And I start to think that how that actually means different things for different people. Like, like a, a joke, there are jokes that, that you could tell that Dave Chappelle can't tell and vice versa. But you, you <laughs> there are more people below you as a 45-year-old white man to punch down at than uh, a 45-year-old black man there's a lot of comedians with like disabilities, et cetera, where they're allowed a certain freedom with their joke telling because of their lived experience. 
Yeah, the, the, but there's also this like, the, the thing that I think is good in this breaking tide is that forever, like if, if you were a black comic, mm-hmm. you had to do race. That was your, your deal. Mm-hmm. And if you were a woman comic, you just weren't funny. Like that, and what was happening is that is that women comic just weren't getting enough stage time, getting the audience rapport. They weren't getting the universality. You know what I mean? And like, I think that that's changing. So that's what I lo- I, I love because if it's funny, it's funny. It's the proof's in the fucking pudding. You know what I mean? Uh, if you can create that that recognizable human experience, and I think that that's where I do think that Chappelle is dying on that hill because he he is a fucking genius for sure but it's not just that that they're they grew up with a different kind of funny it's that they don't have access to what it is to be a a living breathing human in the world like they're too famous you know they're too uh branded you know and and i feel like that's that's the advantage I have. I'm still a 45 year old white American straight, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, right, right. Man, um, I've got kids and a wife, you know, <laughs> but like I am still learning. And that's where I'm worried. I'm worried that, that I'm like, all right, uh, I'd like to learn. And what comes back a lot of the time is, I'm tired of teaching you. If you don't know, you need to educate yourself. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I fucking am. And part of that is asking you, you know what you know. And I, that's what I'm worried about. Like that, that we've just given up on, you had this in your, in your podcast with Sandy, the ageism stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's like, I think the joke about that, I want to be uh, woke. I set an alarm and, and I feel like, uh, younger generations are like just stay in bed i think but i think that's okay too you know what i mean like there's a certain universality that i think you want to strive for as a comedian but also like not everybody likes bo burnham you know what i mean like then then that's fine and that's fine and i i personally like if i was in that position i would want people to not like me because they just don't they don't identify with me more than i would want them to not like me because I have a shitty perspective on things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just want people to sure. trust me though. That's all. That's the thing, you know? And I feel like if, if people don't trust me because they think I can do them harm, you know, whereas I basically mm-hmm. want, I don't mm-hmm. want to be harmless, so but she, I also don't. She's got to do a bunch of eat the rich jokes be, and, you know. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah. That, that's the money makers yeah. now, right? My, my, my best now. jokes are, are are blue, and uh, if I'm punching <laughs> down, it's go. into my own there penis. That's like, yeah, that's always the short shot. Yeah. <laughs> Self-deprecating <laughs> humor is always the funniest. There you go. Yeah. Especially as the, the 45 year old white man. I mean, nobody's gonna <laughs> nobody's gonna stop you from uh, yeah, all five inches of from it. being up on yourself. <laughs> yeah, they'd be like, oh, thank God, yeah. I don't have to do it anymore. You're, you're going up on stage and you're being vulnerable in a way that wasn't acceptable for men for the past 20 years. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's, I think that's part of the self-education process. For sure. 
for sure. But yeah, I mean, like when I, you asked me to do this, I'm like, I'm a, just make sure I don't stay. Is there something I should read before <laughs> I come on? Because we have an Alpod manual. This is the handbook. Uh, go ahead and give that a once over. These are you can't say these words. And, uh, yeah, this is just sign the eighty page this document. This is Shane's trigger. We and this is my really talk about triggers. I have very strong opinions on them. Probably not the time because it's towards the end of, yeah. of, of your episode. Yeah, we're gonna but... have to edit some shit. No, I, we're about an hour. I mean, I think that's that's the thing, right? Trigger trigger warnings, like like just you know hey you might not like everything you're going to hear today but that's okay and i'm not deliberately trying thing, to like, piss you by, off <laughs> by applying that trigger warning it's like hey but that's no, not but fun it's also like a, you know at a comedy there show there will be no harm <laughs> done to you if you choose to vacate if you choose to leave like i feel for me that's what a, a trigger warning is it's it's hey this is sure. your warning that if you don't like something leave goodbye so long farewell and you will not be yeah i just want to keep learning for it yeah i don't know i'm just kidding that's fucked up <laughs> he didn't even set his his clock he just he knows it's something he has to do he keeps putting yeah. it off <laughs> one day he'll get canceled for it it's I fine have to be something to get canceled okay <laughs> that's exactly where i am too like i don't have a career to lose yeah like what do i have to lose right now yeah yeah that's fair but also just like i don't know like i feel like um i feel like there's like a certain reflexiveness and maybe this is the part of the podcast where we get a little real for a second like there's like a certain i think there's a certain reflexiveness to need to understand everything and then i've experienced like as like someone in those conversations with like people trying to learn and do better and all that like um I think that first and foremost, the most important thing to do is to realize that you may not ever understand. You may not ever get it. it. You may do your best and your hardest and take in all the information, read all the critical race theory and the feminist readings that you possibly could fit into the entirety of your life and still not get it. All you have to do is understand that it is harmful to someone what's harmful to say certain uh, things you know what i mean like that it's just harmful to people to say certain things and you may com be completely educated on it and never ever understand why and i think it's okay as long as the response isn't what, what you're seeing with a lot of comedians or actors or whomever on twitter is that they just kind of like double down and like they exist in a space where they're kind of apologizing, but mostly saying that they have a right to say whatever they're saying or trying you know, to, find to that think whatever they think of an apology and also appeasing sure. their audience base. Sure, 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 sure. You have I've, I've started in everything. When I apologize, I don't even talk about like my perception of the thing. Hey, I'm sorry. That's for this thing you know yeah, what i mean because ultimately like i can have whatever story in my head that i have and ultimately it doesn't matter you know what i mean like sure maybe if they're interested we can have a conversation afterwards you know what i mean but like in the moment i fucked up i did a fucked up thing and i'm right. sorry you know so yeah i don't know i but yeah a lot of a lot of a lot of 
how I deal or have been dealing or ask people to deal with that is just understand like you're not maybe you won't maybe you won't get it and that's that's okay too yeah but this conversation was great and uh you know I haven't seen you in years and so it was great to have a conversation you know like this uh I love me some burrows time and who knows we do a bunch of fun things sometimes so maybe we'll have you come back and uh tell us give us an update on how your uh, budding career is going yeah, we always tend to leave an open invitation for anyone who wants to come back because I don't know, an hour is a good amount of time for a podcast. But also, if you want to come back and do a deep dive into something, let's do that. Yeah, I was telling my wife uh, about I, I don't know, I was like stressing about this in in uh, like unduly uh, stressed, which is we- everybody we've ever brought on this podcast <laughs> is like, oh, I'm so worried. I'm so stressed out. And then at the end, they're like, wow, that was we just talked for an hour and I'm like, yeah, what the fuck did you expect? Yeah, well, and, and, and it's a testament to the pair of you guys because, like, you know, your banter and your rapport uh, is so welcoming and uh, so disarming, and uh, I uh, I hope a lot of people listen to you. Oh, well, thank you. Well, that's you. where we're going to end it. Thanks for the compliment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, remind us again the date of your your show so anyone that's listening in virginia can stop by you said redbeard yeah right? it's at redbeard october 23rd dan ellison is the headliner uh and i i wouldn't uh be doing it without Khalid johnson who is uh the host of the open mic that i normally do and ryan valentine is the uh other opener um so yeah 8 p.m at redbeard in stanton virginia thanks so much all right thanks for having me guys and with that, thank you, Daniel, for coming on the show, coming to talk to us, and, you know, giving us that insight to the stand-up comedy world. Uh, I definitely have a, a a newfound takeaway. I don't know that I'll ever try it still, um, but honestly, Mike, I hope you have been encouraged to get up on a stage in that capacity. Well, maybe I'll hit an open mic. Who knows? I'd support you. I'd only heckle you a little <laughs> bit. A little bit. All right. That's fine. I think I think I can accept that. Without any further ado, we have some audience participation. Yeah. Audience participation for this week is tell us about a time where you went to a live performance and something stood out to you and you remember it to this day. I want to hear that memory that was ingrained in your brain from live theater. And where can they join in on this conversation? Well, they can go to www.facebook.com slash active listeners pod. And I've also been a lot more active on the Twitters. So check us out at act list pod. And as Mike said, join in that conversation. Peace. If you like what you hear leave us a rating and if you really like what you hear and you want to support the show go to patreon.com slash active listeners pod and become a patron our theme music it's a trap was created by remodel thanks for listening